This is a sermon that I preached at a ministry called Gospel-Centered Recovery at Sailorville Church. The ministry exists to help men and women overcome enslaving addictions through the transforming power of Jesus Christ while teaching through the Bible one chapter at a time. I am so happy to be here tonight. Um, you know, some people, as I've been coming here regularly, you know, you talk to some people and they're like, man, I just, I really needed to be here tonight. You know, this is what I needed. And a lot of times you're like, yeah, I get it. You know, it's, it's a great group of people and all that. But tonight I really feel that need to just gather around God's word, to be around people who see their need for Jesus, um, and really just want to live for him. Uh, normally, um, when I, you know, after I'm done teaching, I love the small group time and I like to hang around. Uh, in the in the main hallway until David basically kicks me out and just get to talk to people. Um, either last time I spoke or the time before that, I was talking to someone, and they were sharing with me that you know when they were kind of first saved, you know they found a whole bunch of teachers to listen to and they really enjoyed them, and they would tell their friends at church, "Hey, I'm listening to this guy or this person," and their friends would be like, uh, "I don't know if you should listen to them. You know they got this problem and that problem, and you know a lot of people that that they were listening to, they were kind of finding out it's like maybe these are not great teachers." And he said to me something that just like slammed me. He's like, and the thing is like, how do you know? How do you know who to listen to? How do you know who's safe? It's so frustrating, especially in our culture where we are just, you know, shoved things and told to listen to them because here's what's popular. Here's what's trending. And it's often not great stuff, you know, especially within Christianity. And I really, really felt what he was saying um, because I, I understood that completely. Uh, so 10 years ago, when uh, the Holy Spirit really broke me, brought me out of my rebellion, brought me out of just living for myself and just trying to make God who I wanted God to be and, and say, I'm going to serve Jesus in the way that I want to serve him. Um, you know, I, I had on rotation on my phone um, about five preachers that I really enjoyed. I listened to uh, John Piper, John MacArthur, um, Matt Chandler, Francis Chan, and Mark Driscoll. These were five guys. I mean, it was, you know, I would, I remember I had this uh, all day uh, house cleaning project when my dad passed away. It was like a 10 hour deal. It, I just listened to sermons the whole time. I mean, I was just devouring this stuff. And, you know, over time, you know, I've listened, you know, I still listen to uh, John Piper and MacArthur on occasion, um, you know, and I don't always agree with everything they say. And that's fine, right? As Christians, we don't have to always agree about every little thing. But as I was listening to these other three guys, you know, I started hearing little bits here noticing stuff that they were saying, little shifts that they were taking. And I was really struggling with that because I'm like, how can they be believing this all of a sudden? How can they be saying these things and kind of following these agendas and these worldviews and things like that? You know, what is going on? And I found myself in that same position. You know, how am I supposed to know who is safe and who is not? How can I not just assume that everyone's going to eventually slip into, you know, maybe not outright false teaching and denying the true Jesus, but these little weird things that just you know aren't honoring to God. And one thing I've learned is that a lot of times these, these beliefs that, that people we know, people we trust, or even ourselves, when we fall into these, these wrong ways of thinking, these wrong understandings of God, of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit, of who we are, of what sin is, of even what the gospel is, a lot of times it's not because we are just diving headfirst into false teaching but we're making small compromises. We're, we're allowing ourselves to slip on the truth just a little bit here or just a little bit there. And that's ultimately what I want to talk about tonight is not just who is a false teacher, who is dangerous, but instead, how can we recognize when a teaching is not lining up with the word of God? How can we know 
people we know, people we trust, people in our families, people in our church, us? How can we know when we or someone we know is drifting? And that's ultimately what we're going to look at is just what is that test? How can we know? So our text tonight is going to be in 1 John chapter 4, and we're just going to cover verses 1 to 6, Lord willing with time. So 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world hears them. We are from God. The one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Tonight's topic is my least favorite thing to talk about. I, I've seen, as I said, far too many people, you know, big names, you know, men that, that were instrumental in my growth, just slip into, into bad teachings, you know, wrong understandings, and just you see this slow drift away from the truth. Maybe not, you know, I'm not saying any of these guys that I listed are not saved, that, you, that they aren't preaching, preaching the true Jesus, but you just see this heartbreaking shift and departure from the faith. And it breaks my heart to talk about it. You know, I've got, uh, you know, as a lot of you know, I've got a, a blog and a podcast and a YouTube channel. And these are my least favorite things to talk about on there. I'm always so heavy hearted, uh, you know, and this isn't about me, but just understand that uh, if, my, if my demeanor seems off or anything tonight, it's because this, this topic genuinely breaks my heart because of what it does to the body of Jesus Christ. So I wanna, what I want to do is just go through these first six verses, kind of look at uh, what John is saying to us here, uh, and then we'll talk about some basic application that I want us to walk away with. So the first thing that John says in verse 1 is, mm-hmm. Beloved. Now, this is automatically a call to us. When John says the word beloved, he's not just talking to pastors. He's not just talking to church leaders. He's talking to all of us. Me, you, everyone who is a true follower of Jesus Christ is being addressed here. So a lot of times when we think about, you know, how do we identify what's right and wrong? How can we know what's in the Bible? You know, it's tempting just to say, well, you know, this, this person that I really trust says so. And that's good. It's good to be able to have people you trust that you can rely on, that can protect you when you are not spiritually mature or biblically knowledgeable enough yet. But we can't just use people as a crutch like I did, where I just let other men do all the spiritual living for me. And so he's addressing all of us here. And so I want all of you here, you know, even if you've just been saved for 10 minutes, this is addressed to you and how to think about truth in your life. So he goes on and says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, one of the, one of the greatest dangers in Christianity, you know, a lot of times we think, oh, what's the greatest threat to the church today? And we think, oh, atheism or paganism or, or this political party or this political agenda. Ultimately, the greatest danger to the church, the greatest danger to you, are things that sound spiritual but are not. Things that appear to come from Christ. Things that use the Bible but are not from God's word. They do not glorify God. They appear to be wise. They appear to be spiritual, but aren't. And so we are called 
not to just believe every spirit, not to believe every teaching, not to believe every idea that is just Christianity adjacent. But instead, what does he call us to do? To test the spirits, to see whether they're from God. Now, it's been a few years for me, maybe a few years from all of you, but if you remember when you would take a test, like a math test, right? It didn't matter what you thought the answer was. It didn't matter how sincere you were and how you answered. When you took a test, there was an absolute answer key that your answers were compared to, right? And either you were either right or you were wrong based on what the absolute truth of that answer key told you. And that's what we are called to think like. We are called to test. We are called to hold up every teaching, every, as he says, spirit, every spiritual teaching, everything that seems to come from what people say is the Holy Spirit. We are called to test it, to hold it up against something, to say, is this true? Is this real? Or does it just appear right? Does it just feel good, but doesn't hold up to the true test? And we're going to talk about what that test is. But first he talks about to test these spirits. Now, there's two ways to think about this. One is teachings, right? When you talk about, you know, we have a spirit of camaraderie or a spirit of friendship or whatever, it's this, this aura, this, this feeling, right, that you get. But we also want to pay attention to what uh, Paul warns Timothy about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, where he says, the Spirit, being the Holy Spirit, explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Again, the greatest threat, the greatest danger to Christianity, the thing that we need to pay most attention to, you know, good, you know, understand why atheism is wrong, things like that. But the thing that we can often be easily blind to or be surprised by are these things that are, are what he calls deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons, right? Things that have a wicked, worldly, satanic source, all aimed at drawing us away, all aimed at deceiving the world to feel like they've got the gospel, to feel like they're safe, to feel like, you know, they're good enough to earn salvation, leading them straight to hell. And even as Christians, to make us ineffective, to make us so distracted with everything else that we don't know what the truth is. And so here we're just, we're going to keep seeing that we have to be on guard for the corruption of Christianity, not from outside threats, but from those things that we might want to hold closest to us. And then he finishes this, this particular verse saying, many false prophets have gone out into the world. And that many is a killer word. It's not hopeful because when the Bible talks about many of something, very rarely are there many followers of Jesus Christ. Rarely are there many true teachers. In fact, what did Jesus say in Matthew 9:37? He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. There's plenty of people out there who need the gospel, but the workers are few. And so pray for workers, right? There's not a lot of true workers out there. For, for all, you know, as popular as Christianity still is, you know, around the country and around the world for the, the, you know, how spoiled we are for choice for, you know, pastors to listen to on our commute or things like that. The reality is that the, the true teachers and preachers of God's word are few and far between. And it's a heartbreaking thing, but it's a thing that we need to recognize if we are going to protect ourselves and others from it. And again, uh, we see, again, this talk of uh, there being many teachers, right? Many representatives of Christ out there. Uh, in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, talking about the final judgment, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, 
In your name did we not prophesy, and in your name did we not cast out demons, and in your name do many miracles. You hear that? that that's not atheists wondering what's going on. That's not people who are involved in things like Wicca or, or you know, some other religion saying what's going on. It's people who were adjacent to Jesus, who knew enough about Jesus and served Jesus, or so they thought, so they claimed, right? They were casting out demons. They were doing miracles, so they say. And what does Jesus say to them? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's a scary thing. It's something we all need to be on guard of. It's, it's something I hope all of you are on guard of, even listening to me. You know, a lot of you have heard me a lot, you know, and you might think I'm safe. <coughs> Everything I'm saying is only true if God's word agrees with it. So, so don't trust me. Only say, you know, it's not oh, what Ray Burns says. It's here's what the word of God clearly shows. And Ray Burns, by, by God's goodness, agrees with it. Is the best thing I hope you can say about me. Uh, but going on now. He says, now by this, so we've already seen, you know, that we need to test these spirits, right? That we need to be on guard for those things that are false. And he goes on and says, by this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So years ago, when I read that, I'm like, oh man, the test against false teaching is easy. As long as no one denies that Jesus had a physical body, we're good, Right. Now, it didn't line up when I started looking at actual false teachers, and it's like, um, not really. So here is why he specifically says that they have to confess that Jesus had a physical body to be from God. So as David talked about last week, there was this growing religion outside of Christianity called Gnosticism. And there's a whole lot of shenanigans involved in it, but the core idea that was creeping its way into Christianity was this idea that you had a dualistic universe. You had spiritual things and you had physical things. Spiritual things were good and pure and holy. Physical things were essentially made by Satan. Anything physical was loaded with evil. It was worthless. It was garbage. There was no good found in the physical. Now, for philosophers and, and people like that, you know, people outside Christianity, fine. You do you, whatever. But when that comes into Christianity, we immediately have an issue, right? Because even, you know, the, begin, the very beginning, you know, of, of 1 John chapter 1, he talks about how we have seen this truth. We have seen Jesus in the flesh. And so what do you do with that? If you are trying to bring Gnosticism into Christianity and immediately your God came in human flesh, what do you do? You deny it. You, you rationalize. You find some way to say, well, people thought this, it seemed that way, but, you know, this and that. They would explain away the physical nature of Jesus Christ, which was completely essential for him to represent us on the cross because we are physical and spiritual beings. If Jesus Christ took the punishment that we deserve on the cross, he had to do it as a full representative of who we are. So Jesus literally could not save you if you are a physical being and he was not also a physical being. And so that is what John is addressing here. Is he is saying anyone who denies the reality, the full understanding the full nature of who Jesus Christ is, is not to be trusted. They may be talking about Jesus. They may say a lot of things that are right. They may even say enough things that you can be saved under them. But in terms of trusting them, in terms of relying on them to lead you to gospel truth, to spiritual maturity, you cannot trust them. They are at worst false teachers. At best, they are true followers of Christ who have been deceived, who have slipped into this worldly way of thinking. So today, 
what does that mean for us then? How do we look at what John says and say, someone has to confess that Christ has come in the flesh and say, okay, what do we do? How do we use that in our application today? Well, remember what Jesus warns us about in Matthew 23, verses 23 and 24, saying, then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders. Why? So as to deceive, even if possible, the elect. People are coming. Jesus saw it, you know, he, he warned his followers about it 2,000 years ago. The people are going to come saying, hey, here's who Jesus is. Prophets are going to come saying, hey, I have a message from the Lord. And Christ is saying, don't believe them, because they are going to, to rise up, and they're going to exist for the sole purpose of deception. And if possible, they would even want to deceive us, true followers of Jesus Christ. So if John was writing to us today, he's probably not going to warn us and say, hey, watch out for those false teachers who deny Christ's body. But what might he warn us against? And, and I want to be very clear, John doesn't say this, right? But, but how would we understand those who would say, hey, here's Jesus, here's who Jesus is, here's what Jesus stands for? Uh, just a list that I came up with, this is by no means exhaustive, this is by no means scientific or you know, theologically um, arranged. But in terms of false Christs that we might see today, we have the Jesus of the prosperity gospel. The idea that God's will is always for you to be happy, to have wealth, to be healthy, to never be sick, to never be sad, to, to just have a prosperous life, and that Jesus died to heal your diseases. Jesus died to cure your poverty. You see this in people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church. You know, just Prosperity theology is alive and well in America, and we're even exporting this garbage out to the poorest countries out there, telling them, hey, follow Jesus, trust me, and Jesus is going to take away the AIDS from your village. He's going to give you a well of water so you don't have to trek you know, miles away to get water. That is the Jesus that we are exporting to the world. How about the Jesus of easy Christianity? You know, if you remember the Billy Graham crusades from a while ago, uh, you know, a lot of people got saved in these things. But if you ever watch one, if you listen carefully, what is being said? Hey, do you want to go to hell? No, it's scary, right? Pray this prayer. Done. Are people really understanding their sin before a holy God? Are they understanding that they can do nothing to earn God's forgiveness? Do they truly understand the fullness of who Jesus is, that he came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross in their place because they could not do anything to pay for their sins. And that only by turning away from all those sins they trust in and truly placing their faith in Jesus Christ could they truly be forgiven for their sins. Right. Maybe some did. But that is not what those crusades were aimed at. Those crusades were aimed at numbers. Big emotional responses, big manipulative music, big altar calls, peer pressure, and things like that. And that has tainted so much of Christianity today, right? These easy believism churches. How about the Jesus of agendas? Jesus would be a Democrat. Jesus would be a Republican. Jesus would vote for this person. Uh, if you uh, saw the Super Bowl, I didn't see it, but I'm familiar with the group, the He Gets Us, if a lot of you remember that commercial. What is that? You know, and maybe the commercial itself was fine, but if you actually go to like their website, it's all just a social agenda. They have a social goal in mind, and they are using the name of Jesus as a weapon. They have weaponized the name of Jesus to further the agendas that they have. Because the real reality is that if you have an agenda that you stand for and all of God's enemies or 50% of God's enemies in your country have no problem with anything you're saying, it's probably not from God. 
Now, I'm not saying that you know, one party doesn't represent good things of God and another party doesn't represent good things of God, but the reality is that Jesus Christ is worried about his own kingdom, not ours in our country. Jesus is worried about saving souls, not just making people's lives better until they die and go to hell anyway because of their unforgiven sins. How about the Jesus of emotions and experiences? Uh, you know, people who say, I know Jesus is real because, you know, I, I go to church and, and I go to a worship service and I just, I feel all this stuff and that's how I know Jesus is real. No content, right? It's, and I don't use this lightly, but it's like a drug. You know, they have to keep going to church just to feel Jesus, just yeah. to get that high because they don't feel it the rest of the week. And so they have to keep manifesting and manufacturing these emotions and these experiences so that they can feel like Jesus is real with no thought to their sin, with no result or thought to holiness. Uh, therapy and self-help. A lot of you in here probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I've tried this program. I've tried this exercise. I've tried to be strong enough. Maybe I'll try Jesus. Maybe he can make me feel better. Maybe he can fix things. Now, I don't want to throw away the fact that uh, oftentimes God finds a lot of us when we've hit rock bottom and we realize that all these things that we've relied on keep failing us and that God alone is the only one who has never failed us. A lot of people don't think of Jesus that way. A lot of people don't find Jesus like a lot of you probably did. They say, you know, I'm kind of sad. I want to try this, this religion thing. You know, I want to find some Bible verses that I can, you know, memorize or write on my, my Facebook page or tattoo on my arm or whatever, and I can look at them and just feel better because that's the role of Jesus in people's lives is just to make us feel better, not to be our Lord and Savior. The Jesus of worldliness. Uh, you know, this is the Jesus who would say, you know, Jesus... You know, Jesus wasn't against homosexuality. Jesus wasn't against this. He wasn't this, you know, this guy who railed against worldliness and money and things like that. You know, that was just taken out of context. That was just for that time. You know, it's this Jesus that we don't want to be offensive. It's this Jesus that we want to be able to say his name and people are like, yeah, I like that Jesus. That's pretty cool. Jesus should not be cool when it comes to the fact that he is judge over sinners. But we package him, we dilute him, we bring him down to a level that he's just easy to accept. Uh, how about workspace salvation and righteousness? The, the Jesus who says, hey, you need to get cleaned up if you want to come to church. You need to do better if you want to keep your salvation. You know, are you really a Christian if you gave into that addiction again? What is that saying? Jesus wasn't enough to pay for your sins. Jesus isn't strong enough in your life. You have to conjure up 10% of the strength, and Jesus will do the rest. But you've got to do something besides just obey. You have to be strong. You have to be better to earn your salvation or to keep your salvation because the Jesus that you're being taught or the Jesus that you believe in is not enough. Now, I want to be very clear here. I believe that in any church or, or any, under any teaching that talks about this stuff, I think people can get saved, right? They talk about Jesus. They use Bible verses uh, you know, Martin Luther got saved from, um, you know, a verse in Romans having really nothing to do with what was being taught in the Catholic Church at that day. God will save his people in the worst circumstances. If his word is there, if Jesus is present, people can be saved. What we want to ask ourselves is, are we satisfied with that? Is that truly honoring God to say, you know, the prosperity gospel, they have a lot wrong, they teach a false Jesus, but, you know, I know a friend who got saved under you know, a prosperity preacher. So maybe it's not all bad. What is that saying? That as long as Jesus is present, as long as people can be saved, then that's okay. That's good enough because there's results there. And that's the last Jesus that I want us to watch out for is the Jesus of pragmatism. The idea that as long as we get the results we want 
it doesn't really matter how we get there, as long as, as we're comfortable enough with the methods we use. It's not, did we obey and honor what God's word has said? Are we true, faithful servants of Jesus Christ? It's, did we get the results we were looking for? Do the numbers show it? Did we get the response that we wanted? You know, we can see this in our personal lives where we might say, you know, I, I don't want to be too offensive. I don't want to make Jesus look bad. So I'm not going to stand up for those really hard things. You know, I'll share the gospel and I'll have Bible verses, you know, around my cubicle or something, but I don't, I don't want to make Jesus look too bad in our families. Uh, my, uh, my theory for a while is as long as my kids obeyed, whatever methods I used to get there worked. I could bribe them. I could yell at them. It didn't matter as long as I was getting the results that I wanted. That's pragmatism because I got a result. I didn't care how it happened. Um, you know, and as I said, in our churches, you know, we, we look at the prosperity gospel or having an easier altar call, you know, because what's easier? Really sitting down one-on-one and discipling someone and explaining to them the reality of sin, God, and Jesus, or just saying, hey, you feel kind of bad, you're kind of scared, just pray this prayer. You're going to get, what, a hundred times the results if you just make salvation easy. But is that honoring God? Is that being true to his word? You know, and that's really what all these end up boiling down to, is these things become acceptable when we just say, well, we can find good in it, so maybe it's good enough. And so those are just some of the false Christs, the false prophets that I want us to just be mindful of. The fact that it's not always obvious, it's not always easy to pinpoint false teachings in the church today, but any teaching that diminishes who Jesus Christ truly is. Understanding, no one's going to teach Jesus perfectly, right? It's, we are imperfect people, trying to explain a perfect God. But any teaching that diminishes Jesus for the sake of getting power, of getting followers, of anything like that, has to be avoided. Then he goes on in, uh, towards the beginning of verse 3, saying, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now that word confess there is what I want us to key in on. A lot of times we're looking out for people who will deny Jesus, who will say Jesus isn't real. But that's not what John's saying. John's not saying, hey, watch out for people who deny Jesus, but those who don't confess him. To prove my point, imagine that uh, you're, you're working in a police station and you go to your boss and you say, hey, I got him to confess to the murder. He says, oh, he told you how he did it and where the body is? Well, no, but he, he told me about his gardening and his job and his childhood. That's not a confession. Why? Because a confession is telling the truth about something. And that's what we need, is teachers who will tell us the truth about Jesus. They will confess him. They will say all the good things about Jesus, but also all the things that are still good that we just don't like, that make people uncomfortable, that make the church unpopular, that make people maybe not want to be around us, maybe not want to invite us to things. But we're staying true to the word. We are confessing Jesus, which is how we know that we or someone else is truly from the Holy Spirit. He goes on saying, those who do not confess Jesus, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. So Antichrist, you know, we're often familiar with it with the book of Revelation, but the the idea of Antichrist was actually already in Jewish thought. It it wasn't called Antichrist because this was actually written about before Christ, but it was this anti-Messiah, right? Because Jews knew, if you read the Old Testament, a Messiah was coming who would redeem his people from their sins. But they also knew that it wouldn't just be this, you know, walk in the park as he came in, but that there would be someone who would stand against him. There would be someone who would be anti, against this Messiah. 
And that's what the Antichrist is. That's what this spirit of the Antichrist is. There is no middle ground in Christianity. We, there is no you know, neutral teaching in the church. Something is either from Jesus or something is anti-Jesus. Yeah. It's anti-Christ. And that's what we're talking about tonight. It's not just these clear, blatant, false teachers, but just these little things that we allow in, these little things that we want to believe, that we want to dwell on, that we need to be so careful of. Um, but then we, we get some, some positive, right? This is, this is a scary thing. It's an overwhelming thing. False teachers are out there, right? It's like the Cold War with the Russian spies. No, they could be anywhere. And that's how false teachers are today, right? They, they are dominating. They are everywhere. It is so much easier to throw a stone and find a false teacher than a true one. But here, John gives us the comfort that I think we need right now, the comfort that, that we all need tonight. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. There's already victory, right? We're fighting against worldviews, but we aren't fighting because if we don't do a good job, Jesus loses. Jesus already has the victory. We are just his faithful servants in this life because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who is the God of this world? Satan. God is greater than any scheme Satan is throwing at the church today. It doesn't matter how popular, how many followers, how much money all these other churches are making. God is greater. There is not a single thing that these people can do to stop God from calling his people to salvation. There is nothing he can do to stop the gospel from going out into the world. God is the victor. Isaiah 14, 27 reminds us, For Yahweh of hosts has counseled, and who can thwart it? And as for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? Who's stopping God from doing what he's going to do? Absolutely no one. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel frustrating. It can feel like, I listen to all these teachers, and they all keep, you know, just going off into false teaching, or this, you know, these social agendas, and this, this CRT stuff, and all that. And it can just feel so defeating. But that's when we're looking at it from human wisdom. When we say, we aren't getting the numbers that we want. We don't have enough followers. God doesn't care about that. God has never been around saying, oh man, I really need enough soldiers in Israel so I can you know, conquer all these enemies in Canaan. God does the impossible with the fewest number of imperfect people. He's done that all throughout the Bible. He's going to do it today. That is why we need true teachers. That's why we want to pay attention, to love true teachers. Imperfect as they may be, even if they get things wrong, even if they also maybe fall into you know, some wrong teachings, because no one's perfect, right? But those who are truly pointing us to the actual, true, genuine gospel of Jesus Christ, they are worth our love. They are worth our prayers. Because they are doing something that no one else wants to do. They are taking the hard road. They are not looking at numbers, not worrying about how popular they are, not worrying about how much people like them or what their future is going to look like. True teachers of God say, this is what God has called me to, this is who Jesus is, and I'm going to proclaim it no matter what. True teachers do that, and everyone here, if you have Jesus as your Savior, I hope you want to do that same thing, that you will live your life trusting that if God has ordained that you find yourself in a horrible situation, that you will still stay true to your God. Then he goes on, they, so these enemies of God, these false teachers, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak us from the world, and the world hears them. You know, the, the funniest revelation I had, I, sorry, I shouldn't say revelation in, from the, the pulpit. The funniest realization I had was I was trying to figure out one day, I mean, this was years ago, it's like, you know, why don't sinners just get it? Why don't they just 
want the things of God? You know, how can they not see the reality of how empty all this stuff is that they do? They're from the world. What are sinners going to do except be sinful? What are enemies of God going to do except live as God's enemies? It should not surprise us, right? We should, we should never wonder, oh, how can, how can these pagans act in pagan ways? Why is a dog running on all fours? It's their nature. Without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, what else are they going to do except live according to everything that they are, which is an enemy of God, exactly like we did however long ago it was since Jesus saved you? And finally, oh, sorry. Um, so we are warned about this in 2 Timothy 4, 3 to 4. Uh, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, right? So massaged, you know, things to be easy to listen to. They will accumulate for themselves, right? They will draw teachers to themselves. Why are teachers so popular? Why are false teachers so popular today? Why is bad doctrine better to listen to than true teaching? Because if they, we gather these people, or, or uh, sinners gather these teachers to themselves in accordance to their own desires. They want this stuff. If, if, if you know, broad is the gate and narrow is the way, then it shouldn't surprise us that those walking through the broad gate who want something kind of Christian adjacent are going to make these false teachers so popular. There's so much more of them than there are of us. And they'll turn away their ears from the truth and turn aside to myths. And that's what we want to be careful of. Not just teaching a false Jesus, but taking those small compromising steps where we start giving our ear to a little false teaching here, we compromise a little bit here, until eventually we turn aside from the truth and turn to myths. Finally, we are from God. The one who knows God hears us. The one who is not from God does not hear us. From this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So the title tonight is uh, The True Test for True Teaching. And John says here, right, he concludes, the one who knows God is going to hear true teachers, because that's what John is, is portraying himself as, is John is a true follower of Jesus Christ, telling these listeners, his audience, about the true Jesus. And those who are God's people are going to hear that. They're going to recognize that. But what he doesn't say is how. We need the Word of God in our lives. Truth is not dictated according to our hearts. What does Jeremiah... Uh, I'm going to butcher the reference. I want to say 17.9 say that the heart is deceitful above all else and who can trust it? If you are following your heart to know if something is godly or not, you've already lost the battle because your emotions are swayed by what you had for dinner, what you watched on TV last night, what happened at work, how traffic went. Your emotions are the most unreliable thing in your entire life and to base truth on those is not going to end well for you. God's word revealed to us our need for Jesus Christ. God's word revealed to us that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, that nothing we can do can save us, and that no other God or thing out there can. Jesus Christ alone. If that is what we trusted only to lead us to the truth of who Jesus is for us when we needed him to save us, why would we not turn back to it daily to understand what we need to know about Jesus for our everyday lives? God's word is our test for true teaching. And we can't test it if we don't know it. Really understand that. Do you want to know if you're listening to a false teacher? Do you want to know if something you believe is true? It's not about your emotions. You can turn to, to a, a mature follower, you know, a pastor or, or someone who's discipling you. 
You can turn to other people to help you understand it, but ultimately, a good pastor, a good friend, is going to direct you to the exact same thing, God's Word. Why would you not learn it for yourself as well? So that you can know truth, so that you can give that truth to others. That is the true test of true teaching. So, final slide. I'm okay on time, right, David? Five minutes? Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so, number one, what do we see from John? We want to prepare to have more false teachers out there than true ones. It can be defeating, it can feel overwhelming, it can be discouraging because we feel like we can't listen to anyone except the pastor at our own church. And maybe that's good, right? God has placed your pastor over your life for a specific reason. Other pastors can be great to listen to, they can be good people to learn from, but your pastor is the man of God over you. We have to know the truth to test belief, our beliefs and others. And remember, where do we get truth? Not our emotions, not what we feel is right, not what we think is right, not even what we are told is right. right. If you cannot justify what you're doing by fully understanding this, not just popping it open, pointing to a verse and saying, ah, here, this lets me do it, but in understanding God's word and what it really says and really means, if what you're doing is against it, it's not truth, and therefore it's not of God. Number three, living for Jesus means submitting to the truth, whether we like it or not. There's not a whole lot of room for your feelings in tonight's lesson. I, I hope that's clear, right? <laughs> When you see the truth, when you know the truth, what do you do? Say, I'll do it when I feel like it. You know, I'll wait for the truth to stimulate me to like it. Or will we say, God's truth is supreme above all else, above my mental health diagnosis, above my emotions, my feelings, my desires, my addictions. When God's word is foremost, all we have to do is obey. It's hard. It's unpopular. You might not like it for a while. Okay, I've, I've, I think I've been very honest. There's times where I get mad at God because he shows me a truth that I don't want to deal with at the time. Okay, we all get there. But the question is, do we obey despite everything else because of how we value God's truth? Living for Jesus also means fighting for the truth. What do we do when we recognize a false teaching? If, if our friend is going down a path that we know is dangerous, if we've realized that we've accepted something that we ought not to, it's good to recognize it. But, in love for others, do we not also want to tell them, help them see it? Not bludgeon them over the head, okay? Be nice to your Bible. Don't be a Bible thumper. But do we give the truth in love? Do we help people see the error? Do we recognize and repent of our errors, even confessing our errors to others? If we're going to live for Christ, then we have to live for the truth that he gives us. Now, you're at GCR, and... No, not everything has to be just catered to, hey, how do you kick your addictions? But let's talk about how your addictions actually fit into this, right? Because you might be listening, it's like, well, that doesn't help me with my drinking. You know, why am I going to worry about, you know, what, what this false teacher is saying on TBN? I, you know, I'm sitting here trying not to give in to that alcohol again. I'm trying not to look at porn again. Well, your problem, ultimately, isn't your addiction. Your problem is truth. Because what does addiction tell you? You need this. You deserve this. You can't resist this. What does God's word say? Jesus has bought the victory from you. Greater is he who's in you than he who's in the world. Right? That's not a thing about, oh, you know, demons can't possess you. That's literally saying, if you are in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you. He is greater than any lie anyone in the world is telling you, including yourself. Value God's truth. God's truth, God's word is your 
only test against what is true and what is false and what other teachers are saying and what I'm saying to you tonight and what you're believing and telling yourself. God's word, above all else, will protect us from falseness because all it is is truth. Let's pray. God, you are good, you are patient. We deserve nothing but your wrath, but you sent your son to die in our place to give us something that we can never do to deserve. I pray for everyone here tonight that they will see your truth, that they will recognize that if they are not saved, if they have not repented of your, their sins, that they are destined for hell. That is the truth that your word reveals to us. Help them see their need for you to turn from their sins tonight, to place their full faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross to pay for their sins so that they can be a child of yours. I pray for those of us here who have turned to Jesus, who have repented, who have trusted him fully for our sins. God, help us to keep valuing that truth that we saw so long ago when we saw how wretched we are before you. Be with us tonight as we are open, as we are honest, as we are vulnerable where we need to be, as we are building each other up, as we are calling each other to truth. God, let everything tonight be to your honor and glory because it's done according to your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. If this ministry is a blessing to you, there are three ways that you can support it. You can pray for Ray and Onward in the Faith itself. You can share this episode with others, or you can help with various expenses by visiting patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith or following the link in the show notes. We hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith towards maturity in Christ.